So yeah, there should be Bibles under your seats. Maybe you have a Bible on your phone. Maybe you brought your Bible from home. Bring a Bible from home, you can make notes in it. So that's always great to be able to look back and remember things that we've learned together. Um, But I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. We're just focusing on the wedding, Jesus' first miracle. And um, at the end of it, I'd like to ask, what stands out to you? So I'd like you to read with an intention to observe, read with an intention to like, consider what it means for you or what things are interesting. And there are you know, five specific things that I want to dig out of it. Maybe you'll see the exact same things. Maybe you'll see completely different things. But I want to learn uh, from Christ. We're supposed to be his apprentices. So this is us observing him. And this is the day he wanted us to read this exact thing. So let's read together. Picture yourself in that place and uh, see what it means for us in our place. John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine and did not know where it came from, although the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everybody serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you've kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. And he went down... And he went down after this to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. And they stayed there for a few days. So what stands out to you? What did you notice? What have you maybe heard about this passage in the past? It's like, you know what? The thing that I love most about this, I once heard, and it's this. What thoughts do we have that we can bring to study? Trace. When Jesus said, it's not my time, Yeah, it's an interesting interaction, right? As a mother, like, almost like, did she know and she was out of it? You know? Yeah. Whatever he says, he just said it wasn't my time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting. Jesus and his mother, how they interact with each other and what he ends up doing, what she knew, what he knew. Good, good. I think it's interesting that, like, back there at that time, to run out of the wine was something that would put a stain on your family. Ah. And the fact that the jars that were used were normally for the rites of Jewish law and purification. Jesus chose to take that, which was supposed to be for the law, kind of like he did with the Sabbath and stuff, and use that for a really practical purpose that out of concern for someone not having a stain on their reputation, Negate just completely changing that. Hmm. Hmm. It's good. It's good, brother. It's good. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. What else? Sally. I like how Mary didn't give direction. She 
just said, do whatever he tells you to do. Hmm. You know, it's like she had faith in him. She trusted him. Yeah. She believed he'd do the best. You gotta invite this guy. <laughs> maybe, maybe he was on the move, so he didn't stay local for too long. But maybe, yeah. Well, we just had the water heater replaced yesterday. That was forty pounds, and so you know, almost five foot tall, and reach around, mm-hmm. and it struck me for the first time. These water jugs were 20 to 30 gallons, and there yep. were six of them. Yeah. I mean, that must have been enough wine for the whole village. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that they stand like this tall. They're, they're big, big vessels. And up to the brim. Up to the brim. Up to the brim. Filled it up. What else? What else? All right, well, keep thinking. That's what we're here to do. We're here to learn from Scripture. Let me suggest some things that stood out to me. The first one is kind of like a big picture thing. Jesus accepted the invitation. He was there. He didn't have to go. It was just an invitation. And he went, and he and his disciples were there. This strikes me as like a very important first point to notice. Because a lot of times, if we're invited by society to partake in something, we might be like, no, I don't know if I want to do that. Or there's going to be all sorts of folks, I don't know if I should go there. I'm busy, I've got these other very like Christian things I'm doing, I don't know if I can make it to that wedding. Michelle and I were at a wedding a week or two ago now. It was up in New Hampshire. And um, you get seated at a table with nobody you know, right? You make small talk for like infinity worth of time. What's that going to be like? Do you want to be there? Would you rather be at home? Would you rather do something with your friends or family? The culture is different, so I'm not going to put our culture on them, but I just love the fact that Jesus accepted the invitation, and I would love for that to be the baseline of what we take from this. When someone invites you from the world, there's somewhere out there, I want us to say yes. You might only get invited to one thing once, and I guess depending on how you act, you still might only get invited to that thing once. But if you become the person that's always too busy, then people just stop asking. They just know that you're too busy. We don't want that reputation. I feel like I'm guilty of this. I feel like we're all guilty of this. Like, I'm too busy. Because it's probably true, but it's not the right answer. Because busy just shows our priorities. What are the things that have to get done? Well, those are the most important. So what we say yes to is what we value most. When people of the world invite you to somehow come into contact with them, whether it's at the frat house or whether it's the next door neighbor, say yes, please. It will be a natural comfort zone kind of defense mechanism to be like, oh, I don't know, I'll catch up with you. To do the like deflect and sidestep. We all do it. But what if you're just like, sure. Now you're in a conversation with the exact people that we want to be in conversations with. And who knows what it'll be about? Who even cares what it'll be about? Because a lot of times people will pick up things from us that we didn't even intend. And afterwards, like, you know, it always stuck with me that you said this or that, and we don't have any recollection of it, but we said yes, so we were in the conversation. You're useless on the sidelines. You need to be in the field of play to make a play. 
And so I just love that about Jesus. He just said, yes, he went to a party. He went to a community thing. A lot of us lean introvert, right? So we'd ra- we're more comfortable on our own. It's a little bit awkward to be in this big social thing. Put yourself out there and walk into it saying, all right, God, I don't know what you're going to do here or what I might learn or what I might be able to say that to help. But at the very least, can we be good listeners to what the world around us is thinking? Put yourself out of your element into someone else's element. All the conversations that go on are teaching you. This is what this group of friends values. This is what they talk about. This is what's important to them. This is what they like, what they don't like. That, how can we know that if we come into our church and just talk with other people about what we like and what we know, what the Bible says? We become less and less engaged, less and less relevant, less and less in tune. We have to listen. If we go to someone and say, this is what you got to do. This is your problem. Here's how I can fix it for you. Like, who are we? But when you step into the wedding, Jesus wasn't there to run the show. Actually, I didn't have to lead the wedding this time. It was one of those kind of things like, wow, when's the last time I went to a wedding I didn't officiate? This is fantastic. So easy. I just went and I sat there, but I was not in charge. I was not running things. So that made me a listener and got to listen to the people at our table and listen to this very, 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 very chatty lady next to me. (laughs) Uh, It's a sister in Christ. And I think we probably represent like two different sides of the magnet, plus and minus, in terms of what that means and how we live it. I have no doubt that she loves the Lord, and I don't think she had any doubt that I do. But a conversation was kind of like, all right, well, I think the opposite of what you just said. Now what do I say? <laughs> okay, I'll say that. Well, now I think the opposite of what you just said. So now what am I, like, it's just like a workout. <laughs> how good to have a workout like that, to really wrestle with what you believe and think with others who might love the Lord, who might not, but who think so differently. I hope that conversation made me more relevant. I hope that conversation made me more engaged in conversations outside of the, own, the thoughts in my own head. So first, maybe baseline, I think Jesus said yes. He just went. And he's like, it's not my time. And then it was his time. And was he talking about his full kind of like resurrection time? Was he talking about any miracle at all? I don't know. There's some mystery in there. But he was there. And he brought his disciples. And he was there with his family. He was there in the community, his town. Like he was just there with his people. And then he showed God's glory. So that's the first one. The second one. Can you flip, hold this page, if you want to come back to it, we'll probably refer to it, and flip back to the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 7. Verse 28. I'd like to draw a parallel to Luke 7, 28. Because part of this conversation is why is Jesus different? What makes him special? And when he came onto the scene, John the Baptist was the main figure, the main religious figure of his day. But Jesus was plus and minus with John the Baptist, too. He was two sides of the magnet. <laughs> you push positive to positive, they're just going to repel. Like, totally different approaches to how they, they went about it, but both sent from God. John 1, there was a man sent from God, John the Baptist. The word became flesh, sent by God, right? So here's another contrast, and we're supposed to imitate Christ. If there's 42 ways to do something, we pick the Jesus way every single time. So... Luke writes in Luke chapter 7, verse, um, why don't we back up to verse 31? Nope, 28. 
I get greedy. I just hear, like, I see good things before. I'm like, oh, let's get that too. Oh, let's get that too. Let's go back to Luke 1. Let's read the whole thing. No. We'll start at verse 28. I think that's good enough for our chunk of scripture, our pericope here. Luke is writing. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. There's no human being, like strictly human, normal human, born greater than John the Baptist. Better than Moses, better than Peter, better than Paul, better than than nobody. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So somehow John the Baptist isn't in the kingdom of God? What's the contrast that's being made here? When all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. So the people that had been baptized like, there is nobody better than this guy. We've never seen anybody like this man before. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized. So there were those in the crowd like, nope, this guy's just crazy. He wears camel skins and he eats locusts. He's just crazy. Verse 31, then to what shall I compare the people of this generation? So this is the larger kind of generation question. What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace. And they call out to one another, we played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't weep. They're like teasing, mocking, like, who are you? You did this, we didn't do this. Because John the Baptist has come eating no bread, drinking no wine. So someone comes like fasting. He's like really spiritually rigorous. And you look at him and you're like, he has a demon. There's something wrong with that guy. Nobody fasts all the time, puts themselves to that length spiritually. Like that's either a show or he's just possessed. There's something wrong with him. So they dismiss him because he's too rigorous in how he approaches his faith. But the son of man has come eating and drinking. But you say, look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. There's a lot of wonderful thoughts in this, but basically Jesus didn't Say, no, I couldn't eat that with you because I'm keeping myself pure for my faith. He say, let's share the meal. It was a say yes approach that Jesus Jesus wouldn't say, no, I abstain from having this wine, drinking this drink. He said, no, let's do this together. Jesus' approach was opposite of John the Baptist. And this just goes to show you, you, you can't please some people no matter what you do. So stop trying. You think if I just was a little bit more holy in my lifestyle, then these people would listen to me. No, they'd call you crazy. I should just get a little bit more like familiar and like fit into culture a little bit more so I can be more relevant. No, they're just going to suck you up or think that you're no different. There's no winning this game except for living how God tells you to live moment by moment because sometimes it's going to be the right moment to share and to say yes, and sometimes it might be the wrong moment to abstain. But you look at the same exact crowds and they dismiss one, they dismiss, they dismiss everything. It's got to be God that works on the heart. But Jesus' method was not the abstain. Jesus' method was engage. Now, when he was there, he looked very different. So he didn't just become like the people he was with. He was not drunk. He was not, he, he stood out. I mean, he's a guy doing miracles at the wedding. This is good for us to recognize because it ties into the, the next point that um, I'll make here. But Jesus' method, his approach, his audience, his reputation was of a certain sort. And I would love for us to have that same audience minded towards the sinners. His reputation was that he hangs out with the worst kind. 
I would love for us to have that reputation. But somehow, when we get in there, what did it say um, in Luke 7? It says, this is the first of a sign. Jesus did a Canaan galley and manifested his glory. Like when we're in the situations, how can God's glory, how can we be a light? How do we shine? What does it look like to be there? I want us to be engaged because Jesus was engaged. And John the Baptist was about adhering to the law to the utmost of his ability. And Jesus was about extending God's grace to all those who the law couldn't help. The law said, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. And Jesus said, I forgive you, and I forgive you, and I forgive you, and I will die for you. That's the Christian message. Not that we all have our hands perfectly clean because we've ritually purified them exactly the right way, but because we keep coming back to God and saying, please, would you wash my hands? And this comes to the point that John made about purification. It is not accidental that Jesus took water which was used to clean yourself for God and turned it into wine that you use to celebrate life. Jesus is the one that's going to be cleaning us before God. Our job is to live. He has come to have life and have it abundantly. It is for freedom he has set us free. He's come to give us eternal life. So Jesus was not in the business of giving people things they could do to purify themselves. He was in the business of saying, I'm here to purify you. I want you to really, truly live. And that brings us to another scripture I want us to flip forward to. So now we're going past John, the other direction, to Romans. Romans chapter 14. It's right at the very end of the book, so you're almost up to 1 Corinthians, but Romans 14. And specifically verse 17. Romans 14, 17. And you notice that Luke says, there's no one who's been born of a woman, no human kind of mortal sort of person that's better than John the Baptist, but the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is not something you're born into. So for the teens that are here, for any of us like myself that grew up in a Christian family, I, I couldn't get born into the kingdom of heaven. I have to be adopted in. God has to welcome me in. I need to be forgiven in for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You, know, you, you enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, behold, the kingdom of heaven is near, is at hand, is among you. So Jesus brings us that we have to like step into it. And by doing so, we just say, all right, Jesus, it's you and it's the cross and you're going to give me your spirit and we're going to like live an amazing miracle filled life. Let's go. Let's do this. And so the definition here that Paul gives of this kingdom is not, did you go to church? Do you say your prayers every day? Do you like, don't swear and you don't drink and you don't hang out with bad people? And you're like, it's not that sort of a list except under the bigger umbrella of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So let's just read it together. Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So for those of us that are like trying to work our way into heaven, well, I did the right things and I'm trying to be a good person. It's not how it works. The righteousness that we see there is the righteousness in the Holy Spirit. And the peace that we see there is the peace in the Holy Spirit. And the joy that we see there is the joy in 
the Holy Spirit. So whoever serves Christ this way is acceptable to God and approved by men. There was all these disputes back in the church in that day of what you're allowed to eat and what you're not allowed to eat. And there probably still are, just our own versions of them in our day and age. Um, But Christians are feeling really convicted. I want to honor God. And Paul's advice is seek the Holy Spirit, let him direct your conscience, and act in a way that you feel honors God. And even if you're a brother or a sister on the other side, do it differently. Pursue the righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Um, Yeah. Whoever serves Christ is acceptable in God and approved by men. So this brings us to the foreshadowing that we should be noticing in this passage. So we're back in John chapter 2, and there's two things that I want to notice and just think forward. And then we have kind of like one question to, to wrap it up together. But do you notice the first, what is it, four words there? On the third day, this happened. Does that stand out to you? What else happened on the third day? <laughs> he rose from the dead, right? Jesus starts with a miracle on the third day and ends his life and ministry here on earth with a miracle on the third day. They're meant to be bookends. They're meant to be seen. John's writing to show, look what God did here, and look what he did here. He ties them together. The first day, the second day, the third day, the baptism, the calling of the disciples, and then the glory of God. Uh, Baptism of the cross and the failing of the disciples and the resurrection. These things are beautiful and they inform each other. And I think you can read the wedding at Cana through the lens of the cross and the resurrection. What is this meant to say? This is meant to say, I'm not here just to tell you to do the right things and follow the law. I'm here on the third day to tell you there is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit and life, and I'm going to be the one that pays for you. We're going to exchange ritual purification for the joy and the celebration of the Holy Spirit. Filled to the brim Filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit. We talk about the overflow of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. You see this. Uh, You see a small gathering being exposed to the glory of Christ and the resurrection. You see the world and the, the secular government and everyone being exposed to the glory of Christ. And you see a wedding. That's what the Bible says in the book of Revelation, that's what it's going to be like at the end. It's going to be like a wedding. It's going to be Jesus as the groom and all of his people as his bride, his church, his people. He's going to gather them all together. He's going to say, welcome to the feast. Why didn't Jesus say, welcome to the ritual purification with these jars of water? Because that's, that's not what he's about. Jesus' blood and his sacrifice on our part is where the atonement comes in. What he calls us to is a feast, a wedding feast with the groom. So it is perfectly appropriate that on the third day here, he celebrates with the wedding feast in a worldly manner. And on the third day, he ascends and he celebrates, he initiates this kind of end times that we're in, which is going to close with the wedding feast with Christ. That's in Revelation 19. You can flip to that at some point and see the parallels.
I would like to suggest, as we think about this last question, that uh, God wants you in these environments so that he can show his glory. And so that may mean that when you get into these environments, you're saying something. It's a word of wisdom that comes out. Maybe when you're in this place that you've invited to that you said yes to, maybe you find that you're praying for someone when you didn't expect to. Maybe you're finding that you're quoting a Bible verse when you didn't expect to. Maybe you find that you are praying for healing for someone that you didn't expect to. Maybe you find that there's a miracle that happens that you didn't expect to. And Jesus would say, step into that situation and find out what I'm going to do. And so I'm going to end with this question. I'd like you just to think about it. You don't need to answer out loud. Um, where are the places that you have been invited that you have not yet said yes to? Who is the neighbor that's extended an invitation to you know, have a beer out by a campfire in a backyard that you've not yet said yes to? Who are the kids in our houses that asked a question once? Well, what does this mean? I'm like, I'll get back to that. They invited you into their thoughts and their learning. We've not yet circled back and stepped into that conversation. What are the parties that you have the invitation on your counter at home and you're like, I don't want to go there that you need to say yes to? We need to be ready to say yes to these things so that our lives can look like this and so that God can get the glory. So let's just take a moment and think about those and then I'll close this in a word of prayer. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give your courage to each one of us for those invitations that we have not yet accepted. Maybe even invitation we've already declined that we need to circle back on and accept instead. Pray for courage. I pray for joy that us seeing you at work in our lives and in the world would be true joy. Pray that you give us opportunities that we don't manufacture ourselves. Jesus, I thank you for being among, and I pray that you'd show us what that looks like for us. And Father God, I pray that you get glory. I pray that you get the glory. Humble us, glorify yourself. May you get the glory, Father. You are before all things and above all things. So Spirit, please give us eyes to see and ears to hear the invitations that may come our way this week and then give us the words to speak and the, the comfortability to just be yours, your ambassadors in every situation we find ourselves. Thank you that greater are you that are in us than he is in the world, and we have nothing to fear. And if you are for us, no one can be against us. We pray forward into this week. We dream forward. We look forward to what you'll do. I pray just help us not to miss it as it happens. 
ask your blessing on us. Thank you for a morning together around your word, Father. And Jesus, pray that you keep leading us as your disciples where you'd have us go. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.